What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and today we're going to be talking about the final principles of communication. If you've been with us so far, we've covered the importance of your words, a theology of words. Why do your words matter and where do they come from? Then we move to the idea of listening. If we are terrible listeners, regardless of what we say, all communication breaks down. Listening is going to be one of those fundamental aspects to any good communication. So how important are your words? Listening. Then we talked about speaking truth. When you actually do speak, what do you say? Are you exaggerating? Are you embellishing truths? In last episode, we talked about keeping current. In keeping current, that means that we aren't just doing this once, that we didn't communicate well last week, but rather we are continuing to communicate well on an ongoing basis. So today I'd like to give you the last two principles. The first being that of attacking the problem and not the person. And then finally, acting and not reacting when it comes to proactive God-honoring communication. So grab your Bible. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. We've used Ephesians 4 as a place for us to continue to ground our principles for communication. We have speaking the truth in love in verse 15. We have speaking truth in verse 25. This time we're going to talk about attacking the problem, not the person, based off of verse 29. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 29 gives us important principles. Now, when you consider corrupting talk, sometimes as a listener, you might immediately go to the really heinous things that we might say. Of course, you could include in this things like curse words, insults. Those are just a microcosm, though, of overall corrupting communication. Consider this. You may not be a health expert or be super familiar with how fruit works, but corrupt communication is much like unhealthy fruit. When you go to the grocery store, you can look at an apple and say, Yeesh, that thing has bruises all over it. Gross. The cucumber has been frozen. Actually, I don't know. Is it cucumber or fruit? Anyways, now when you think about a bad fruit, that's what corrupt communication is like. It's, it's corrupted. It's unhealthy. It's unwholesome. Some of your translations will say. Don't let unwholesome, rotten speech come from your mouth. But instead, use speech that is nourishing and it builds up. This idea of nourishing is healthy fruit. It's fruit that's edifying. It's words that are going to nourish and minister to a person. If you're just thinking like, don't say bad curse words to people, then you may miss the point that I can still use socially acceptable words that are demeaning and unkind. I can use words that are still unhelpful, even though they're not curse words, 
So corrupting talk is bigger than just, do I use curse words? It's going to be more about, does my speech minister to this individual? Does it grow them? Does it strengthen them? Or does it tear them down? You may recall this from some of our TV series where I talk about my military experience. One of the traditions in the military is that if you're an officer, you're supposed to be addressed as sir or ma'am. Now, uh, whenever I was first commissioned as a second lieutenant, I was 22 years old. So think about that for a second. So 22-year-old second lieutenant, brand new, fresh out of college, and there were certain enlisted non-commissioned officers that had been in the military for 22 years. Their professional life, my entire life, was the same. So I would I would go up and we would talk, and in different contexts, there were non-commissioned officers enlisted that were just very gracious and kind, and they would kind of honor the the expectations of saying sir, no sir, yes sir. But there were other times where an individual would would speak to me and be like, I thought you went to college, sir. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, they didn't teach you that in college, sir? <laughs> um, I don't recall them teaching that in me in college, but uh, I don't know if that's what you're getting at here. To be most exact, in that instance, there were no rude words, but even the words that were used were used rudely. And maybe I deserved it, in all fairness. But it's just a small example of how there are times when we do use words that are socially acceptable, but they're not necessarily used in a wholesome way for building up as fits the occasion. So use words, use words that build up and don't use words that tear down. One of the things that I would like to emphasize is that sometimes we use words that actually create more conflict and bypass what we're attempting to communicate. That's why this principle of attacking the problem and not the person is so integral. Think about this. Sometimes the way that we communicate is actually compounding the problem that we were attempting to communicate about originally. Don't you feel like a crazy person at times? You're like, I'm not mad about what you did originally. I'm mad about how you're talking to me right now. That's why I'm mad. Well, because I'm not honoring this principle of attacking the problem and not the person. When I begin to attack the person, what takes place is I begin to make this about your character and all of the things that you're failing to do. You always do this, I begin to say. Or you never do this. Oh, man. No longer is it about that one particular incident, but now it has become about character assassination and all of the ways that you're failing in life. And as much as I love to hear all the ways I'm failing in life, at times it becomes a huge distraction from what we're really communicating about in the end. No longer am I communicating about the original problem. What's taking place is this is now me defending my own honor in a conversation. So when I'm entering into that conversation, one of the ways that I can be helpful and use wholesome communication is to make it about the problem and not to attack the person in that way. So instead of me walking in and saying, you know what, you always do this and it's so frustrating to me, I say, hey, you know what, whenever you speak to me like that, it actually is really insulting to me. And your words at times can come across in a very condescending tone. 
that is me attacking the problem and not saying that I hate your guts. And maybe I'm struggling to hate your guts. <laughs> no, that is not necessarily what I should be doing. The reality is that I should be saying, hey, look, your words are what are so hurtful right now. Your words come across in a very insulting and condescending thing or an insulting and condescending way. So by me attacking the problem, what it's going to allow us to do is to actually address the problem instead of you feeling like I've just attacked your character and I've just attacked who you are fundamentally. We can now talk about this and not get offended and mad. Uh, when I'm considering unwholesome words, just note the principle of verse 30. Verse 30 is in the context of your communication, by the way. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In all reality, I do grieve God's spirit when I use words that tear other people down. There's a couple of reasons for that. You're an image bearer, and I'm to speak to you in a way that shows the dignity that you possess as an image bearer. But if you are also a Christian, then I'm speaking to an individual in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. So now I'm not only insulting an image bearer, but I'm actually insulting a temple of God in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. I grieve God's spirit when I am demeaning to you with my words and hurtful to you with my words. So ask yourself this question. Will this move them down the path of greater Christ-likeness? Is the word or are the words that I'm using going to help them be more like Jesus? Or are they dehumanizing, condescending, rude, unhelpful, unwholesome type of words? And that way, if they are, if I can say, yes, it's those and it's not helping them be more like Jesus, then I'm creating more of a problem. I need to attack the problem and not attack the person in this. So let's think about words that edify for a second. Words that edify are those that literally build you up. You may not use the term edify on a regular basis, but that's really what it means to prop a person up, to build it up. Uh, you see it all the time with vegetation around town. They'll plant a new tree and then they'll have these different protective devices to secure it from blowing over, that we're building it up. Uh, I come from the coastal town of Savannah, Georgia, and they would take houses and lift them off the ground and put them on stilts so that they would not be susceptible to floods. And in that way, you are propping up the house. You are building it up. That's what it means to use edifying communication. It's communication that does build up. The words that we use should deal with what the person says or what the person does, not an attack on their character. It's really hard for us to deal with character traits in a conversation. A character trait is a broad categorization or attribute of who you are. So instead of me saying, I think you're a liar, I might say, hey, the other day it seemed to me like you were lying when you said that. So now instead of me calling you a liar, I'm going to identify the words that you're using. If I just call you a liar and you're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I shouldn't have to tell you. You're a liar. Okay. All right. How am I ever going to communicate in that way? But if I say, you know, the other day, it seemed like you were lying or you held back aspects of the truth that were really important. On that particular instance, I have to be able to see that I'm identifying the word, not attacking you in your character. That's what edifying speech is going to do. 
edifying speech is lastly going to help reach a solution. My edifying speech is going to attack the problem, not the person, because we're going to come up with a solution. It's like, hey, if, if that is my perception of how things happened, then I am going to do my best to come to a mutually agreeable solution, something that is a win-win for everybody. It honors you and it honors me. So our third principle of communication, attack the problem, do not attack the person in your communication. We're going to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to finish with our last principle of communication. Quick question. How much do you actually know about the Masters University and everything they have to offer? Because they have quite a bit that you may not even know about. They offer accredited undergrad, master's, and doctoral degrees in biblical counseling. Plus, they have over 150 additional programs. You can find out more about their in-person or online programs by spending some time at masters.edu. You can also drop into the campus for a visit. I know they'd love to spend the day with you introducing you to the Masters University. Are you struggling with anger, lust, OCD, anxiety, depression, or other issues? The Association of Certified Biblical Counselors would love to walk alongside you, listen to your struggles, and walk with you to overcome those issues and to grow you more in Christ's likeness. We would love to be a part of that journey. To find a biblical counselor near you or via Zoom, please visit us at biblicalcounseling.com. Hello, this is Dr. Gifford. Would you please consider supporting our ministry financially so we can continue to bring you transformed? We would love to produce even more programs that show how the Bible can straighten out our crooked thinking and conform us more to the image of Christ. But we can't do that without you. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating Transform to reveal how amazing grace is. If you're interested, you can do that at transformed.org. You know, sometimes we find ourselves struggling with some of the very same issues that Dr. Gifford is addressing here on the Transform Podcast. And if you have a specific question you would like him to address, you can email him at greg at transformed.org. Here's the deal. Though you can ask him any question you'd like to ask, be pithy and also include your name, though you can request that he call you anonymous if he uses your question on the show. Send your questions now to Dr. Gifford at greg at transformed.org. Welcome back to Transform. The world's definition of beauty is simply not found in the Bible. Instead, the Bible informs us that true beauty is defined not by this world, but by God Himself. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. All right, welcome back. It's time to cover the last principle of communication. Principle four. I hope you've been taking notes. I hope in some way you can consolidate this information. It transformed. I even hope to provide some of these details via handouts, worksheets, things that would be helpful for you. So stay tuned for some of that in the future. But here's principle number four. Act, don't react. Don't be a passive communicator. I want to finish with verse 31 and 32 of Ephesians 4. And you're going to think, Dr. Gifford, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me show you first, and then I'll do my best to explain. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let me talk about passivity in communication, which is connected to passivity in your Christian walk altogether. In this context, verse 22 is talking about your old self and what your old self is identified as. In verses 25 through 32, we do see different aspects of who you were. That's the person who spoke falsehood. It's the thief. It's the person who is sinfully angry. It's the person who uses corrupting talk. And in verse 31, these are what characterized us before we were in Christ. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Yet 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, such were some of you. Those things don't define us now as Christians. Reactionary speech is like reactionary Christian living. When I'm just being a passive Christian, I look like the one speaking falsehood, the one who's sinfully angry, the thief, the one using corrupting communication. In reactionary speech, it is speech that's characterized by those things to include verse 31, bitter, wrathful, angry words, slanderous words. If I'm not careful and I'm not intentional, what takes place is that my communication may be conceptually right. I know the principles, but I'm passively engaging and putting on the new man and communicating in a way that corresponds to my new identity in Christ. I am to speak the truth And I am to speak the truth in such a way that honors the Lord, and I have to fight to be proactive in that. When I'm being intentional or when I'm being active and proactive in communication, I'm not giving in to my natural tendencies. Think about that for a second. We all have natural tendencies in communication. For some of us, our natural tendency is to shut down three days later. We will say hello to you, but that is about all. (laughs) Goodbye, friend. No. For some of us, that's our natural tendency. For others of us, our natural tendency is to bulldoze people. And what takes place is we become like a pit bull for Jesus because we really want to settle this. We want to talk about it. And we're right, right. Like we're kind of aggressive with our words. That's how I envision pit bulls. Sorry for those of you that are pit bull lovers. Uh, I'm aggressive with my words, and that's my natural tendency. What the scripture teaches is that you have to be willing to put off your old person with its natural tendencies, their natural tendencies, and you have to put on the new person, which according to verse 24 is the result of God's work because you are being renewed in the likeness of God. So my speech and its natural inclination is not going to be the most God-honoring speech. That's true for you as well. And this has nothing to do with education. This has nothing to do with what type of church you go to. The reality is that if you just give in to your natural person and the way your natural person wants to speak, you're going to blow some things up in life. So to be proactive means that I'm putting off my natural tendencies in Adam, my natural tendencies apart from Christ, and I'm having to say, what does God want me to speak like? I'm doing that intentionally. Verse 32 provides a framework for the way that I should be communicating. Kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. These are aspects of the way that we treat other people. Uh, just to be clear, you can't be kind to another person unless you're with another person. 
I, I'm sure you've thought about that, but I, I can't be tender hearted to myself. I can't be forgiving to myself. These are all re- relational aspects of the way that I treat other people. So I am to be kind. I am to be tender hearted. I am to be forgiving. And one of the most predominant, if not the dominant way that I express that is in my words. My actions are obviously correspondent as well, but my action and attitude must be that of kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. My words should proactively look like this. And if I'm being passive in my communication, what will take place is my communication will break down and slowly I will, I will default back to who I am with my natural tendencies. I'm the one that shuts down for three days and doesn't talk to you. And I just say, I'm trying to keep the peace, but in all honesty, I'm worshiping comfort. Or I'm the person that's the pit bull for Jesus and wants to settle it now and kind of bulldozes you until we talk about it. Both of those are wrong. I have to proactively put on what God is calling me to do. So let me end I think many of us benefit from practical applications and what that looks like. Let me end some of these segments with practical ideas for communication. In biblical counseling, we will use homework assignments to facilitate, and homework assignments are often going to be just practical takeaways where we take the scripture and we say, hey, consider applying this in this particular way. You're not going to meet a biblical counselor who is unaware of a conference table assignment. Let me explain what this is. It's a homework assignment designed to help develop effective biblical communication patterns. I think Jay Adams is actually the one to start it. The understanding of a conference table maybe sounds a bit formal. Maybe we should call it the kitchen table or the dining room table. But what you do is you strategize or really you schedule a time kind of like a forum for discussing and resolving conflicts. What can take place in relationships is over time, you just begin to discuss logistics, but you don't talk about things of depth and things of value, meaning, significance. And I find oftentimes in marriages that a way of keeping the peace means that individuals really just stop talking about difficult issues and just start talking about all surface level logistical issues. Who's picking up kids? Who's dropping off who today? What time do we need to be at your parents' house? Those types of questions. Yet those questions really don't deal with deeper substrata type of conversations that we need to discuss. So a conference table is designed to create that space. Oftentimes, a lack of a time and a designated time to communicate can be frustrating for individuals. For instance, one spouse will say, yeah, 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 we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Four days later, we haven't talked about it. When are we going to talk about it? I don't know. Like we, we haven't set a time to actually talk about that. Another spouse will say, let's talk about it. It's 1130 at night. We're all extremely tired. We need to talk about this thing. And you're like, please, no, please. I'm tired. With a conference table, it allows for us to have a designated time to talk about things of meaning, value, sometimes a potential conflict or areas of friction, but things of depth. I try to describe it as things of depth. So what you'll do is you'll designate once or twice a week a 30-minute window in which you'll meet with that friend, that roommate, that spouse, the individual that you're trying to cultivate some type of in-depth communication with. And at that time, you will come with your own prepared agenda for things that need to be covered, things that you would like to talk about. 
So for 30 minutes, you're going to work through, you're going to give one individual the mic, they're going to be able to talk. Then the next is going to have the floor to speak into that, to discuss. And then they're going to have their own agenda items that need to be discussed. But whatever you do, you're going to ensure that you're following these principles of communication in a conference table. I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking the problem. I'm keeping current. I'm speaking the truth. I'm not holding back principles or I'm not holding back things that you should hear. And I'm not giving in to my own natural person. I'm practicing these at our conference tables. And in our conference table, we may settle all of the agenda issues in one 30-minute or we may not. But either way, we're going to be God-honoring in the way that we communicate with each other. So I will even tell folks that you need to set a timer so that you only communicate or that you only have 30 minutes for your conference table. So when that timer goes off at 30 minutes, boom shakalaka, you got to get up from the table and it's done. The mysteries of the world will not be unraveled in one 30-minute conversation. Can we just be fair about saying that? And if I'm in a difficult relationship, that 30-minute is not going to be a silver bullet to heal my relationship. But cumulatively, when I practice good communication, what happens over time is it's not one 30-minute conversation, it's the ongoing 30-minute conversations that we have that allow us to keep current and to stay on the same page in our friendship, relationship, marriage. So the rationale is that if we have an ability to develop this habit of intentional communication, then before long, I don't even have to schedule it. We'll just say something like, hey, can we chat later? Yep, we do. We come together with the things that need to be discussed. We find meaningful solutions and then we're done. It's a great mechanism. As you hear that, you may think like the formality of a conference table sounds weird to me, and that may be true, but I would encourage you to practice the function of it, even if the formality of it is a little odd. Schedule a time to communicate with those that you're trying to cultivate relationships with. In that time, be intentional about what you're saying uh, with an agenda, and then also practicing these, these principles of communication. And then lastly, keep it to a time limit. Don't make it a two-hour conversation where everybody's crying and tired at the end of it. Just come on, man, 30 minutes. And then if you need more time, then schedule the next one. So just a very practical application. If you would like to see a structure for it, I would encourage you to just do some basic Googling of biblical counseling in a conference table. You'll see multiple open source worksheets, uh, pamphlets, books that will give you general principles to follow during this time. So thanks for listening today. Thanks for uh, tuning in for these episodes on communication. I pray that they've been helpful for you. So let me pray for us and then we'll be done for today. Lord, we do want to communicate because uh, first of all, we want to honor you in every aspect of our life. And we want to communicate well, not because we want to sell stuff to people or win friends and gain influence, but because we want to love people the way that you've called us to love them. Help us to do that. And help all of us to see that the person that is perfect and their religion is exemplary is the one that can bridle their tongue, according to James. So help us to see the importance of communicating and communicating in such a way that you are honored and other people are built up. So we ask for blessings on our day and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ-centered biblical counseling blends practical theology with methodology to address real-life issues faced in counseling situations. 
available at transform.org.